0: Bruno Heller told me right on right at the beginning he said listen trust me on this butch is a character that People will underestimate until it's too late. I have a, there's a plan for this character. And, and, and I really trusted him. He's a smart guy. We had worked together on the mentalist, so he knew what I could do. He hired me for the specific reason. Um, and that's part of the reason I took the leap. I don't I wouldn't have just done it for anybody or any job, but this was Batman, this was Gotham, and this was <laughs> Bruno Heller. Those two things together let me you know made me take this leap. And, and so trusting him was the first. So it, it wasn't like a blind faith.
1: There's something hulking and sinister about him on screen that makes the bad guy thing just work. As Butch Gilzean and Fox's hit series Gotham, Drew Powell represents the old-time brutal criminal who paved the way for the supervillains of Batman's prime to take over. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this is the Fort Knox Podcast, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Batman Backstory Gotham tees up the second half of its third season this week, and in light of the occasion, I asked Powell to sit down with me for Fort Knox to share his own backstory. It's worth paying attention. For kids with visions of stardom, Hollywood dreams rank up their near hoop dreams in the unlikely category. There are only so many hit shows on TV and so many recurring roles. So how did Powell make it? Well, there's not a formula exactly, but there are a few lessons that are good for anybody pursuing a passion that has long odds. Full disclosure, I should mention, I'm not just a Drew Powell fan. I'm also a friend. The two of us met as teenagers on the campus of DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, longer ago than we'd like to admit. Along two completely different career tracks, our journeys took us from Indiana to New York by way of California with a few other adventures in between. Here's Drew Powell. I'm here with Drew Powell, who you will recognize from TV's Gotham. It's on Fox. We're actually here at 30 Rock, which is like NBC Central. (laughs) This is like behind enemy lines. I I, I just kind of smuggled Drew in here.
0: (laughs) Uh, I did some NBC shows, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can talk about those. (laughs) We can talk about
1: those. Remember ER? Remember that show. (laughs) But you're on Gotham now. That's right. And I love Gotham. I'm behind on episodes, but... Thanks to Netflix and DVRs and uh, Xfinity On Demand. <laughs> a little hometown plug and all that good stuff. I can catch up. But, um, but you play Butch on Gotham, yes, which sir. is a really cool sort of prequel to the Batman story. It's the piece that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the, the comic books never really delved that much into yep. kind of pre-Batman. Why Gotham needed... Batman tell, tell, yep. tell everybody about Butch. Hmm. How do you pronounce his last name? Gilzinine
0: Butch Gil-Zine. Butch Gilzin. Yes, uh, you know, Butch Gizinine is one of two at least main characters that Bruno Heller, the brilliant creator of Gotham, who also did the Mentalist um, and Rome, which you may have seen. Uh, You know, it it is exactly what you said, the story of, you know, what created the Batman, this Gotham City, you know, that starts with his parents being killed, and then kind of, as the city devolves uh, after that incident into this cesspool that needs the Cape Crusader, you know, um, uh, that's what the show is about. And it's funny because I, I, I... you know, do a lot of these fan conventions now, which is kind of new to me. Uh-huh. But the best part about that is is getting to talk to fans that have very specific ideas about, you know, this lore and, and this, this you know, the 70 years of some out of comics, of Batman comics.
1: That's the best part, is talking to the fans who have specific well, ideas?
0: Well, no, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, maybe it's not the best part, but it's, it's very <laughs> educational to me as someone who didn't read comics much growing up and, and really started on Batman with with the cartoon and then with the movies, you know, with Tim Burton's movie. But, the, you know, understanding that, you know, a lot of them were just dismayed that, like, how can you do a Batman show without Batman? And slowly they've been won over to the idea of, like, well, no, this is exactly what you said, a part of the story that hasn't been told. Like, you know, where did Penguin come from? You know, where did, uh, you know, what happened between, for Bruce Wayne, between when his parents got killed and, you know, when he became this, this, you know, vigilante?
1: This is really a show about the bad guys. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a Penguin show. Yeah at least through the part that I've seen it's it's sure. a show about penguin and and you know Bruce Wayne is is sort of back there and it's and Jim and, Gordon is t- and,
0: Jim Jim Gordon is, is the you know, the, the 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 show is kind of through his eyes as right. this young detective before he becomes the commissioner. Before he
1: becomes the commissioner. Yeah. But he's sort of an everyman. He very much yeah. has no superpowers. Right. And he's always outmatched yes. by this bubbling <laughs> cauldron yes. of yes. ne'er do wells, and there's always a new one popping up. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I and mean, we know Jim Gordon doesn't die, but come on now. Yeah, right? right? Like how much of this yeah. is he where's his backup how old, is, how old is Bruce? Yeah, how yeah, long is it going to yeah, be? Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, I, but I think that's what's great about the show, though, is, is, is it, first of all, it's a comic book show. It's a genre show. Um, the best way that I've ever heard it described, and, and I'll give Bruno the credit. I'm not 100% sure who said it, but maybe I'll give myself the credit. Like I've always said, um, that, that Gotham lives in that place, you know you know when you're having a dream or nightmare, depending on how you look at it, and you're in it, and everything is very real. Like, we're having this thing, but then there's, like, random stuff, like flip phones and then old-time mean, cars or, okay. you know, you can't quite tell with the world, is this like 1970s New York, is it the 20s, is it the 40s, is it modern day, you know, so everything, you know, on its face doesn't make sense, but then in the dream it, it makes perfect sense, you believe it, that's where Gotham is, that's that's the world that I think they've created and, and biased, I'm biased, but I think they've done a great job, it, it looks lush, it's, you know, they, they it is one of the best looking shows on TV, they spend a lot of time in the art department and the set design making it look in this kind of very cool way so that I can have a flip phone and then have like a 1970's you know AMC van you know
1: (laughs) because it all just kind of screams retro but I think liberals especially are going to really connect to the show now because (laughs) the idea is everything's bad the bad guys have taken over they're in power yes, yes, and where's the bad I mean
0: yeah, right. This is no joke. So, <laughs> so we're at the beginning of this season, you know, we obviously get the script in advance, and we're shooting in advance of, of modern day. And you know, when I heard that one of the things that was going to happen was Oswald Cobblepot was going to run for mayor and be elected, I'm like, oh, you know, at that time, you know, Trump was, you know, was on this on the horizon, and you know, you know, it was like, oh, this will be, you know, hilarious kind of juxtaposition of these two things. And then, then we had uh, his slogan was "Make Gotham Safe Again," and and then I'm watching the Republican National Convention on day one was Make America Safe Again. That was the theme. And I'm like, oh my God, like the, the reality. And then and then I'm slowly watching these two characters, the fictional one and the real life one kind of merge. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm done now. I don't even know where to go with this. It's it's turned into way more topical of a show than now, we ever thought.
1: Yeah. And I haven't even gotten to that point yet. So of course, no spoilers. Yeah. Um, and, and not to get political, I mean, people across the, the political spectrum will listen to this and, and watch. But one of the cool things about you as an actor is you weren't born with a silver script in your
0: hands. <laughs> well said. Right? Well said. Absolutely. I
1: mean, so before we get into, deep into that, uh, tell me what what are some of just a smattering of the roles that you've had over time? Because you've done a lot. You were in L.A., for a long time, moved out to New York for this. Where where are some of the things that we all know you
0: from? Yes, okay, all right. Well, uh, after... You and I had our, uh, uh, spoiler alert, we went to college together. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I, I literally two weeks later packed up my Honda Accord and drove west to, to L.A. where I had this uh, part-time job making like 15 grand a year and living with this 80-year-old guy in the Hollywood Hills, like, you know, helping him like, and, and having, you know, ch- cheap room and board. It was this, you know, kind of a, the classic tale, everything but the waiter job. Right. Um, uh, you so know, what were you doing? What's the job? Early on, uh, uh, well, I was a youth director at a church. Um, in North Hollywood, which was you know, which also had an amazing theater, so I got to do some theater work and met these people, and then got an agent. And before I knew it, I was on the show called Malcolm in the Middle, which nobody had heard of. They had shot a pilot. I did the first episode after the pilot. I was tough cadet number two, and uh, and and then the show kind of took off, and it was this really great experience. And I went from tough cadet number two to cadet Drew, and uh, did twelve episodes, and that was got me my side card, and I was off to the races. And then after that, I played a young Hoss Cartwright in a prequel to Bonanza. Uh, which was on PAX TV, if you remember that back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, which actually NBC was, was going to buy at one point um, and decided to go a d- different direction. So, you know, I could have been in the fold early.
1: They were going to buy PAX TV? They were gonna,
0: that was always the rumor that they were going to buy and it kind of turned it into like an ABC Family kind of thing. Oh, right. Um, and then they went to Univision and set. But, um, but then after that, then I just I d- I did a long run of, of uh, guest stars and some, some movies. I was in, uh, uh, you know, jeez, everything from NCIS to Modern Family. To ER, to uh, I did a run on The Mentalist as one as a Red John suspect. If you know people that watch that and understand what that is, did some movies. I did a movie called Straw Dogs, which is a remake of a Sam Peckinpah film. Um, you know, it's, where you play a play bad, a nasty, nasty redneck uh, guy, uh, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was uh, so so yeah. It's been a varied career, and and certainly. Um, you know, you you said it best. You know, it wasn't something that I was given. I, I worked pretty hard for it. But it was also, for me, a, like a, a calling. Like, I, I kind of knew this is what I needed to do my whole life. You know, I was a, since a performer what? since since, a, since birth, really. I mean, as a kid, I would perform for my family in the in the living room, you know. My cousin would come down from Frankfurt, Indiana, which was in 30 minutes up the road. And we'd put on plays. And I'd sing songs. My first performance, uh, you're a musician. You'll appreciate this. My first performance was second grade. I did Grandma's Feather Bed by John Denver in my plaid shirt and my cowboy hat, and uh, my dad couldn't be there, so he recorded, he played the guitar, he recorded it, so I had the boombox next to me on the piano bench, you know, and and played and sang, and then, you know, I just loved the feel of what that was like to be on stage performing and the energy you got, even at a young age. But I'm from a small town in Indiana, so it's like... Lebanon, Indiana. Yeah, Lebanon, Indiana. How many
1: actors did you know growing up?
0: Not many. Not many, you know. I, I came into contact with a couple. There was one guy who I really credit as as being a, a great mentor for me. His name's Bill Thomas, and he was on the Cosby Show for a while. He played Dabness, huh. who was Vanessa's husband the right. last season or two, and uh, and was it? Yeah, you know, he was on Broadway. He's an incredible singer and and an actor. And he was really he was. Uh, yeah, I met him when I was in high school, and he was a really great. Because you don't know people, so you don't know how how, like, how do you do it? What do you do? You just Drive to to L.A. or New York, and well, that's set what up you shop. did. Is that what yeah. he told you? Is that what he told I mean, you to do? Well, yeah, he. And then also one of our old professors, Richard Roth. Uh, I remember sitting down with him senior year, and and I was like, "Well, I'm just going to go check it out for the summer. You know, I'm just going to go for a month and see how I like it." And he's like, "No, it doesn't work like that. You need to commit. You need to go and and give it a real shot. You, you know, a month is not long enough to know if this is going to work." And he was absolutely right. Huh. And so, you know how when, long
1: did it take you to know whether it was gonna work or not?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it took me six months to just get over the fact that I now lived in Los Angeles. You right. know, I'm lucky that I'm. you know, we traveled a lot as a kid, so it wasn't like, Oh my, this is my first time in the big city. But living in Los Angeles as opposed to living in rural Indiana, which is where we went to college and where I grew up, is a totally different ball game. So I would say it took six months to a year before I was comfortable just you know I didn't change my Indiana plates for a long time that was the first sign that I was going to stay is when I finally changed it to the California plates like okay I'm in um, you know so yeah it, it, was, it, was, uh, it was I cl- clawed my way through and um, I had a lot of lucky breaks along the way but you know looking back on it now I I, I No I but seriously when
1: else. did you know it was going to work?
0: has it worked
1: <laughs> <laughs> See that's what I was that's what I was getting to right yeah, yeah, because right. because yeah. you have scrapped you have yeah. hustled I mean commercials yeah. TV shows, yep. movies, and not like the main guy, you've been sure. kind of that character in danger of getting typecast sometimes, sure. All, you know, as, mm-hmm. as the tough guy, yep. as the bad guy, right. as the football player, yep. you know, and you were getting a bit old to be the football player, so it was like,
0: where are we going <laughs> to... How dare you, sir? Age.
1: <laughs> I know how old I am, so I know how old you are, right? Yeah, and no, then,
0: you're 100% right.
1: And then this Gotham thing, when you got the role, yeah. it wasn't a main character or what they call a series regular. That's
0: correct. Yep, you're absolutely right. And and, and Bruno, to his credit, told me early on, um, he said, look, um, because I actually had to to move out here. This was a leap of faith because I, I was what they called a local hire. So I had to move out here from L.A. on my own, on my own time, right. you know, with you no guarantee. No, I was not local. <laughs> <laughs> I was not local. and I, I, You I, had to
1: move to had, be a local I, hire. I
0: had to move to be a local hire. And I didn't really. I left my family in, in L.A. and I flew in and would do episodes. And, and I did 15 episodes that first season. And this is your wife and son? My wife and son, that's right. How old is your son at this point? He is now, uh, he will be fi- uh, six at the end of year Well,
1: January. he is now, but how old was he when you oh, decided you were going to fly across the country yeah, to be was, a local hire.
0: yeah, you know, two years old, two and a half, like it was, yeah, it was a big deal, and it was a you know, and, and a leap of faith not only that I took but my wife you know had to take as well. It's that's the that's the stuff that I think people don't realize. You know, you see people on TV, it's like ah, that's great, you're rich and famous, and it's all good. It's like man, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and I know you know that, but. It's hard to describe the, 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 the support system that has to be in place for people to do it. And I don't know how people do it without it. You know, I'm a very lucky man to, to have somebody to support me.
1: So we're 15, 20 years out of college.
0: Yep. What prepared- We don't look it, though.
1: Oh, no. Oh, no.
0: Yeah. Okay, some of us look better than others, <laughs> big jerk.
1: So what prepared <laughs> you to tough it out like that? Because a lot of people give up? They say, I'll give it a year. I'll give it two years. Maybe their parents are on them to go to Mm -hmm. grad school or to be a business mate, get an MBA. What's your backup plan? Are you going to go to law school? I mean, did you have those thoughts? And yes or no, what prepared you to tough it out and say, no, I love this. This is what I'm going to do.
0: That's a great question, John. I mean, That's the other thing. I said about my wife, my mom and dad and my brother and sister are also a huge part in me being able to do this. Because they were supportive. And I know they were scared. You know, I remember my dad or mom saying, like, well, what if this was an avocation, not a vocation? You know, you could still, and I I don't blame them. You know, it was, you know, one of the hardest that, a day I'll never forget was pulling out of that driveway. I took my brother along for company. But, you know, looking in the rearview mirror and seeing, you know, my mom and dad and little sister at the time. It was, you know, just middle school, I think, you know, waving goodbye. And like, what am I doing? Um, so, I mean, I got lucky and got that Malcolm in the Middle break early on. So I'm like, wait, I think I can do this. Um, you know, and I see how you can do it and make some money. But it was, you know, it was, it was always, uh, I, I gave myself, what I did was I got to L.A. in June. And every June, I promised myself every June I would take stock in where I was. If I had moved forward I'd give myself another year. If I had stayed the same, you know, I would give myself a, a, a cautionary six months before I had to give myself. And that was the way I needed my brain to work. Like, okay, this isn't an open ended thing. Because I saw a lot of people when I got to LA that were like, you know, these older people that had been just trying to fight it out their whole lives and had given up a lot of happiness to try and do this thing. I mean, there's no guarantees it's ever going to work. And I refused to be one of those people. So every year in June, I'd give an assessment. And luckily enough, it was always moving in the right direction. I mean. Really?
1: Always. Well, in other words... You never had two
0: down years. No, I never did. I I never did. I mean, there was always enough work to be like, no. And and to be honest, I never had to do another job. I I did that part-time job at the church for three years, um, not quite three years. And when I got the job in Australia, you know, I I had to stop doing that. And I never really did anything else. Maybe a substitute teaching day once, once or twice. But so for the better part of, you know, geez, the last 15 years, that's... I've only made my living as an actor. And so I, I know how lucky I am to do that. Just to make your insurance as an actor. You know, you have to, there's certain benchmarks you have to make to be able to qualify for insurance. That was always, you know, early days, that was a big deal. <laughs> but I, I also think that I just innately knew I was doing the right thing. I was doing what I loved. I enjoyed the work. I whether it was a commercial or or a sitcom or a dramatic movie, I loved it. And the other thing you said, which I was gonna, I think was insightful, is is how as a character actor things change. So I was like the the football player, early days, high school, college guy, and then you move as you as I got older, like I. I couldn't get roles as the dad yet or the cop. And then I turned 30, suddenly this whole new world opened up to me. <laughs> so I could be the, you know, the, all these. And so, and that's continued to, to happen, you know, I think as as I get older, then suddenly, oh, now you can be this guy. You can play this guy. It's leveled off a little bit now, but um, it's been a hell of a journey, man.
1: One of the things that's important for most any career is networking, which is, I guess, uh, you know, fancy way of talking about relationships and the times when we've checked in over the years, one of the things yeah. I've mentioned is you are working certain relationships if you I mean if you need a place to stay in New York to be a local hire yeah. if you need yeah. you know uh, somebody to vouch for you to get a certain kind of role I, I don't know if every actor does that but tell me about how you've looked at relationships at networking and how maybe who you know has helped you along with what you've learned
0: it's a very insightful question because that 's exactly what it was for me. Somebody told me early on about the Nashville handshake. Have you ever heard of this where they you know, no. Nash- sounds dangerous in the old, yeah exactly yeah, yeah, be careful <laughs> <laughs> you might get the Nashville handshake no, they, they used to say in Nashville they, they, you'd shake hands and they'd have it back then a cassette tape in their hand handing you their demo and, uh, and and I was always very wary of being overtly you know in your face but if you don't promote yourself, no one else is—you know—no I mean, one else is going to promote yourself like you can. And I know a lot of my active friends that that's the hardest part for them. And that was the thing that either kind of derailed their career or they just weren't willing to, to put themselves out there. And and um, I, I I've gotten that comment over the years a lot that that, that was something I was will, able to do in a way that wasn't in their face constantly annoying. Although I'm sure I annoyed enough people over the years. <laughs> but but um, being willing to be like, hey. You know, I, I just saw that you, you're doing this film, and I, I would love to come in and read for you, you know, and being willing to put, pick up that phone. So what's your secret? How do you do it? Uh, well, I have a rule that if, if I'm sending an email, uh, if I write the email, if it feels good, if I if I have to show it to my wife, then I know that probably that means I've it's, something's wrong about it, meaning, like, I'm probably going too far if I feel like I've got to ask her to read it. And I ask her to read it a lot, yeah. but, like, knowing that fine line of being being cool, like, hey, no big deal, or being like, I'm a little bit, in, you know, being invasive here. Um, but I don't know, it's, I think it's just maintaining relationships, being open, you know, you know, being cool. That The best advice I ever got was, you know, just m- when I got on set was just, my dad actually gave it to me. And my first day, Malcolm in the Middle, I show up at CBS Radford Studios in Studio City, and I, I show up, and, and I'm... The old cell phone. Remember those bad boys? And I'm tight. He's like, "All right, big." Uh, he's like, "Have fun and just be nice." <laughs> I said, "Okay, Dad." And and you know and and, and th- but that stuck with me. And and you know just being nice and being being grateful, being thankful to be there. Um. When
1: when most people think about Hollywood actors, they don't think nice though. That's true. Is I mean, are most people nice? I think no, <laughs> you took too long.
0: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I would say most people aren't nice. I mean, like for example, Gotham. We have a, an incredible uh, group. Our, our cast is very close. It's a very close knit family feel, which is not the kind of vibe that you would think that show would put off. It's a dark show. But,
1: but yes, but I see. I see your pictures on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. And on Twitter. Yep, yep. And on Facebook. Yeah. And it looks like you guys genuinely get along.
0: We really do. I mean, I just got back from a convention in Atlanta with uh, Robin Robin Lord Taylor, who plays the penguin, and Sean Pertwee, who plays Alfred, and uh, James Frain was there, who was a bad guy for a while, and and uh, Milo, who's now on an NBC show. Um, th- he was he was on our show for yeah. a little bit. He's uh, on This Is Us. He's on This Is Us. That's right. So
1: actually, Gina and I were just watching that. What was he? The ogre? Is that? Yeah, he was we were, the ogre. That's uh, right. We were we were watching one of those uh, season one episodes, and I was like, look, look at that. And Yeah. Gina, oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's right. And he was in Heroes. Oh yeah. Also, yep. so
1: he's yeah.
0: Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a company man for NBC. Right. Uh, but not, uh, he's, not that there's anything wrong? with he's that. That, No, it's great. <laughs> Are you kidding? Um, and and so it, it, we just we had so much fun together. We had a panel. We you know we hang out and have a have a we all had a steak together afterwards. And we genuinely enjoy genuinely enjoy each other's company. So in that case, we're really lucky. But I've been on sets, uh, which whose names I will not give you. But I've been on sets where people just aren't. I think. I think by its nature, when you're on a set, when you're in acting, everything is kind of catered for you, and then, can I, can I get you, and what do you think about this, and and I think some people don't know how to deal with that. Um, or they take it too far, they don't appreciate how hard everybody else is working around them, you know, um, it's just by the nature of how particularly movies and television are done, you know, it, it sets up this kind of, you know, put you on a pedestal, and I've noticed it myself, like, you know. This is my trailer. How, this is awful, you know. You have a trailer. Like, oh yeah, man, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's written in the con- that's written in a contract. That's, okay, that, that's yeah. Certainly, something that happens as you as you grow up, the size and level of your trailer. Um, but but th- those kind of things, you know, can can tend to distort. I think people sometimes, and they don't. I mean, like to me, it's simple. Like, look what we get to do for a living. You know, and I know you love your job, and you feel the same way. Like, look yeah. what we get to do. Like, right. Isn't that incredible? You know, so luckily we have a lot more people on our show that feel that way.
1: How much does it matter to getting hired for jobs, whether your reputation is nice or not? I mean, I I, I sort of imagine that um, in the meritocracy of of Hollywood, maybe your acting reputation is just so, you know, stupendous that... Well, you know, you, he or she could be a royal jerk but we still have to have that person.
0: Yeah. And maybe it's not the acting, maybe it's the money. This person okay. makes a lot of money for the network or this person has a lot of hit films so that's what matters. Um, ah. I I I think it goes both ways. Sometimes it's the acting ability, sometimes those things are intertwined. Um but yeah, I mean it, it's Having said that, though there is repu- you know, your reputation does matter, and I know that, that you know that you, you can you get on sets and you talk to other actors or other. I, I was with a producer one time who pulled out her iPhone and had a list of every actor she'd ever worked with, and whether they were good or bad, or and specific reasons things they did. Like wow. you know, she kept notes. How long was the list? It was a long list. <laughs> it was a long list, and there was a lot of well-known names on there. And and so and and her. And her what did she do with the list? I think just in, in in you know when people said what's it what's this person like you know she could say well um, this person was great or this person you know screamed at me because they didn't have you know M and M's in the craft service table <laughs> you know like that, that that people do take stock now whether or not how that that gets the, whether or not you get the job I think that. Varies based on what, where your level's at, but um, there's certainly, certainly people talk in this business, and, and you want to work with people that are fun. And I know a lot of directors that, you know, they meet with people, and that's the number one. Can you do the job? Of course. But what do you like to work with? Can I work with this person for the next two to three months? You know.
1: How did you finagle going from local hire to series regular? Because, because Butch Gilzean is not a character... Yep. That was pre-written into the DC comics universe. You could have been killed off at any time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sure you're probably nervous every time you get <laughs> you, a season's worth of Okay. Like I mean, you know, you could have been expendable bad guy number four, mm-hmm. but somehow you turned into a character who keeps coming back. Yeah. How did that happen?
0: Well, I started to say before and then cut myself off. Bruno Heller told me right on, right at the beginning. He said, listen, trust me on this. Butch is a character that people will underestimate until it's too late. I have a, there's a plan for this character. And, and, and I really trusted him. He's a smart guy. We had worked together on The Mentalist, so he knew what I could do. He hired me for the specific reason. Um, and that's part of the reason I took the leap. I, don't, I wouldn't have just done it for anybody or any job. But this was Batman, this was Gotham, and this was <laughs> Bruno Heller. Those two things together let me you know made me take this leap and and so trusting him was the first so it, it wasn't like a blind faith you know I I trusted that he and he proved it and by the end of season one I don't know if you're to the end of season one yet but, oh yeah but at the end of season one Butch has as much to do with the, affecting the storyline as any character oh yeah um and so he was right about that and it was really fun to watch it, it was frustrating at times because people we were like uh, you know kind of writing him off like wait 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 wait, wait but it's coming you know, um, but it was—it's been really a joy, especially after doing guest star after guest star, where you're in for the week and you have all this stuff to do. Because usually guest stars come in and, and do the exposition, and and then and then you're gone and you're out of a job. And what's the next job? It's been so much fun to now be in the middle of the third year of this character and and uh, following that character's arc along um, its many twists and turns. So, how did you meet Bruno? Uh, we did The Mentalist together. I was on the, uh, his show, The Mentalist. Uh, I had that was that's a whole other story. I had auditioned for that a million times got a call from my agent like okay this will you go in I'm like no they know what I can do they'd never hire me I'm not going in like because sometimes you just get some fatigue after a while like really 20 times I've been in your office and I've never gotten the job you clearly hate me <laughs> and so so even uh, you okay. yeah absolutely and so I really wasn't going to go and he's like just go it's a it's a multi-episode uh, arc it's going to be great you just do ju- one, one, one more time all right one more time I get the job it's supposed to be 5 episodes. I go do the first episode. So wait,
1: before you yep. before you get the job. Yeah. What kind of a moment is that for you? Multi-episode arc. Yeah. That's this is a show absolutely. that people I mean, is this your first TV kind of sh- multi-episode arc with a show that people know about at this level, uh, or is this? Uh,
0: w- no, where- I mean, I had done some some other stuff at that point, so, but it was it's oh look, every time you get a job, it's a celebration, right, yeah. right, right. And this was definitely a good. You had
1: done Malcolm in the Middle and whatnot. Yeah, but I did Malcolm like in a- the Middle.
0: I, I was serious regular on, on the Hoscar right thing, but, but yeah, but yes. this was a big moment. Um, but I still, I think there was a part of me that was still skeptical because I'm like, well, I don't understand like what, and so anyway, I do the job. I, I I'm celebrating. We got the job great. I do the first episode of the season. I'm supposed to do four more. And then they'd ever call for the rest of the season. What? Exactly. I'm like, are you kidding me? And ironically, I bump into them. I took my son to the LA Zoo and they were on location shooting at the LA Zoo. I literally like run into the director and the producing staff. They're like, oh, hey. I'm like, how's it going, guys? Awkward. Awkward. So awkward. And, you know, and we part our ways and I, you know, I kept my mouth shut and I was just like I just didn't get it and then at the end of the season
1: are you thinking be be nice be be nice (laughs) be nice? (laughs) and I had
0: to scream it over and over (laughs) into my head because it was really hard (laughs) to be not like you know screw you guys yeah uh and then the end of the season they call and they say we want you to be one of the seven red john suspects which was a big deal for that show he the main character had been trying to find this killer And so and sure enough, I got my five episodes in the next season and it was this great arc. And so it all came to fruition. And Bruno, to his credit, was like, listen, I've always wanted to cast you. It just there was always something that was wrong. Um, So that's where it started. It started with that relationship. and, And that's what I tell young actors now that, you know, you never know where that. Moment's going to be. I mean, and it's, it starts with your early question about networking. You never know, you know, which of those little pebbles that you've dropped in the picture, uh, you know, to quote the Aesop fable, which is going to be the one that, that kind of.
1: Yeah. You think this could be like a Quentin Tarantino, Una, Uma Thurman, uh, Samuel L. Jackson yeah. sort of thing? Yeah, like, sure. are you are you in with Bruno he, now? Yeah, or his. his be-
0: I want to be his the John Turturro to his Cohen Brothers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope so because whatever he does, I want to be a part of. He's a smart, smart guy, and. and Danny Cannon, who's another executive producer, and John Stevens now, who's um, EP running in the writer's room. They're all really smart. But yeah, I, I would hitch my, my wagon to his star anytime. Yeah, no doubt.
1: Now, you didn't go to an acting school. No. You didn't major in theater.
0: We didn't have one. Right. <laughs> You're right. Yep, yep. How do I know this? Well,
1: uh <laughs> So when we met when we were 18, yep. years old, roughly, in Greencastle, Indiana. Yep. DePaul University. Yep. That's in Putnam County. <laughs> about 45 minutes due west of Indianapolis.
0: That's right. Look it up, Google that thing.
1: And if you keep going west, you'll hit Terre Haute. Oh yeah, before you get to the Illinois.
0: And you'll smell yeah. Terre Haute before you get there. You Because that paper factory.
1: So this is really in the middle of somewhere that most people have never been before. That's true.
0: Even me, who grew up in Indiana, I'd never been there.
1: Yeah. So you knew from being a kid that you wanted to be an actor. Why did you go to DePaul?
0: Uh, scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being fully honest. Right? I mean, I knew it was a good school. They, they, we had an am- amazing guy, Robert Copeland, uh, who was... Um, uh, had a scholarship uh, in my ho- high school for a full ride for four years to one graduate every year uh, of Lebanon High School and so I was a very just, I was very honored to get that scholarship and and, um, and because in my head I had these big designs of like I'm gonna go to Stanford I'm gonna go to Northwestern I'm gonna get out I'm gonna you know and then suddenly they're like well well, here's this amazing scholarship, and here's a school that you really could excel at. And, and in retrospect, it was I needed to go to a small school. I'm much hmm. more of the. Why? I wanted to I wanted to be the big fish in the small pond. I think I would have gotten lost in a big school. You know, I I I liked I liked the fact that you know we could do. A radio, I had a radio show, and we did a TV, a sitcom, you know, and I could be do musical theater and do a play. I did a play my senior year, a Strindberg play. Like, so I got a little taste of everything. So
1: it know. was a small pond. I mean, some might think that going to a liberal arts school like that, when you want to be an actor, is being like a, a big fish in a small plane. It's <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah,
0: <right. laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay. I right? like that. Absolutely. I, I, but to me, I, I, I can tell you this now for having made my living exclusively as an actor for the better part of my post-college life, it was it was huge for me to have that liberal arts education. I was an English lit major. Like, the, the books that I read, you know, the stuff that we did as media fellows, that mm-hmm. honors program we were in, like, all of that stuff has, has at some point or another, you know, played a, played a factor in my work. Okay, like how? Really? Okay, so... Uh, uh you know i' I'll be reading a script and and the references that are made in any given script you know I'm like oh yeah, I remember when I read you know that novel by you know, Whoever you know, or or um, you know the the like I said, getting getting to do theater without having to be a theater major. Like most of the time, you'd never be able to do that. Mm. You know, I started out. We had a theater minor, and anyway, the point was, it was like I was able to do all of that. The fact that we did a sitcom, we had at that time in the '90s, and a state of the art, you know, TV station. You know, the stuff that I learned there. You know, I there's little bits and pieces that have filtered its way through Uh, most of the stuff that I do. So I, I have to say I'm a big proponent of it. It's not for everybody, but it was definitely for me.
1: So what do you tell young people um, who have a big dream, it looks perhaps unlikely from where they're starting out, and they're trying to make choices about where to go to school, who to pick as a mentor, what kind of mindset to have, what they should read. What do you tell them?
0: I Well, when you put it in a general sense like that, um, you know, I tell them to believe in yourself first and foremost. That 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 was the biggest, and that's not as easy as it sounds. It sounds like a platitude, but you know, there were times when I had that that gut check moment of like, okay, can I really do this? anybody you ever know? tell
1: you you couldn't do it?
0: That's a good question. I, you know, I don't know that anyone ever said that to me, but I've I always got the you know, and people have always been very supportive but i you know there i'm sure there were times along the way where people were like yeah good luck with that <laughs> you know and and uh and that's been i i think probably the best part about this whole deal is is seeing other people in my community uh, uh you know really uh get to go along on this journey with me you know the 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 number of times you know and i have people from my hometown or people i've known over the years that say you know we're really proud of you that is about as as good as it gets you know forget the being on a billboard, although that's kind of cool, too. Um, forget about seeing yourself on TV. Like, that that kind of stuff where they're genuinely, like, so proud that they can say to some random person, like, I know that guy. And, okay, maybe that guy is, like, you know, in short shorts in a Jack in the Box commercial. But I know <laughs> that guy, and, and they can take pride in that. Um, it's really special. So I, I say to people, you know, yeah, if, believe in yourself. I, I also tell people that, you know, if, if they're especially actors, young people that want to be actors, and this was told to me by, by several people, if there's anything else you can do and be happy, go do that, because <laughs> there's a good chance it's gonna be a lot easier road for you. But it's, So you, you
1: know, decided there was nothing else? Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, and, and, and it, if there was, I, I had a legit job offer you know, where I could have lived in St. Louis, closer to my family. I was getting paid a, you know, a nice starting salary. I was doing some interesting stuff. Um, uh, it was, what line of work? It, it was it was for the National Benevolent Association, so it was a charity, a nonprofit. But it was also working. They were doing a thing NBA with the NBA, so I was going to get to work. I'm a big sports fan. Work with some some sp- athletes in the NBA. It was, it was it was a really hard decision at the time. Right, because you're from Indiana. Yeah, That's the NBA. Exactly. Hello, basketball <laughs> the way of life. I mean, I got Mellencamp on my phone for crying out <laughs> loud. My phone ring. Um so that was a real decision. But I, I knew that I, I'm I'm the type of person that, that doesn't do well with regret. I, I hold on to that. And I knew that I would regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't try it. Hmm. And so I think that was the driving force. So I think that's what I that's what I'd say. You know, believe in yourself and, and don't be don't don't live a life of regret. You know, give it a shot. Whatever that thing is, you know, you know, and maybe you'll luck out. Huh.
1: Well um- I think we're going to just about leave it there. I was actually trying to call your phone to see if you do the Melon Camp ring, but you put it on silent. That was very responsible.
0: Come on, come on! It's like a life. I wrote that song about me.
1: All right, I'm going to hang up now. Okay, that's just just so people. That's just so people know (laughs) that you weren't making that up with Melon (laughs) Camp on the phone. No, uh, thanks for joining me on Fort Knox. Just, just. digging in on um, sticking to it, on networking, getting to know people, on believing in yourself on the path. Like, you don't have to have a pre-directed go to this school and then this and then that and then the other thing. And uh, no, it's just been really cool watching yeah. you throughout the journey. Likewise, uh, brother. It's going to be really cool watching the episodes as I catch up to current
0: yes. in Gotham. Yes. And, uh, and I, you know, you're not going to like this, but I'm going to turn the tables on you. It's so fun. I remember distinctly standing on stage in front of a couple thousand people, a lot of people on, on our graduation weekend, singing a song that you had written, which I still think is a great tune, and and having that moment of like, okay, you know, the world is ours. Um What's going to happen? And, uh, and here we are. It's been fun watching you rise.
1: Yeah, what's the name of the song? The world is ours. The world, that's right.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. I totally remember that. Of course. You the man. <laughs> All right, man. You the man. Thanks, Drew. Let's go get a GCB. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Marvin's delivers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to 30 Rock. <laughs> Drew
1: Powell, Butch Gilzine from Gotham. Uh, this has been really cool. Thanks. You the man, Johnny. My thanks to Drew Powell and, hey, to DePaul University for bringing us together back in 1994. Gotham is on Fox Monday nights at 8. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Subscribe on iTunes, Apple's podcast app, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. And I'd really appreciate you leaving a review if you enjoyed this. Check out Fort Knox Live on Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I tackle some of the big business and economic issues of the week with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Next week, if you've got a smartphone, and who doesn't nowadays, you know how expensive and frustrating getting service for that phone can be. You might have heard T-Mobile, one of the four major U.S. carriers, along with AT&T, Verizon, and Sprint has some ideas about how to do things differently. T-Mobile's CEO, John Ledger, is like none other. He's bold, he's blunt, he calls his competitors' names, he breaks the rules, and makes us question why they're rules in the first place. I sat down with him to ask how he decided to be a different kind of CEO, and he opens up about some of his thinking behind it. Meanwhile, share this, tell a friend, drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, or Fortnox.com. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.